You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Mondays suck, but hopefully I can be responsible for making your Mondays suck just a little bit less. Hopefully you guys had a great Easter weekend, got to eat some good food, hang with family and friends, and uh, just enjoy the weekend. I know my daughter had an absolute blast. She gets spoiled, and she knows it. She had like three or four different Easter egg hunts, and I think she's still on her sugar high. So that's going to be fun putting to bed tonight. Anyway, here's the deal. Tonight or today, or whatever time it is that you're listening to this podcast, we are going to be talking with Jay Robert from Tenzing. Now, I've talked to a lot of people over my quote-unquote span in the industry. It sounds dumber every time I say it, but this guy is very intelligent. He knows a lot about packs, and uh, he's one of those rare people who just can can blow you away with knowledge of a product and uh, that's what jay's going to do today he's going to talk about tensing packs the company history the product lineup the 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 bits and pieces that make up the pack and uh, then we're going to get into some scenarios of what pack might fit what kind of hunter how to properly wear the packs and uh, just so much more so uh hopefully like I said, you're, I can help make your Monday suck just a little bit less, and uh, enjoy. On the phone with me now is Jay Robert from Tenzing. How's it going today, Jay? Excellent, man. Thanks for calling. So the most important question I am going to ask you today is, how did your 2015 hunting season go? Mine was good. Yeah, I mean, I've I didn't get an elk, which I usually do every year, and I and I put in for a special draw tag, and then when I got there, I wasn't happy with it at all, so I didn't go back. So just a bit of learning curve there. But living in Idaho, you know, there's the, the hunting goes year-round, so it's, you know, if we're not hunting, we're fishing. It's just ongoing. So it's, yeah, excellent last year. So is that where you live in Idaho then? I do, yeah. Uh, you know, Plano is the, um, Plano Synergy is over the Tenzing brand, and they're outside of Plano, Illinois. And um, that's where the distribution center is for part of our 
our brands. And then um, the office that hired me was um, also in Plano. So I, in the beginning, I just commuted back and forth uh, probably six, eight times a year. And now I don't have to go that much. So it's just awesome. Good. So I want to go back to this elk hunt. You said you had a – you you uh, did your limited draw tag. Was that in Idaho as well? Yeah, in Idaho, you know, you can just buy a tag over the counter. So right. even a non-resident, you can just buy a tag if you know where to go. And since I've lived here my entire life, I'm 51 now, I, I really know where to go. And I've, I've been quite successful for either archery or rifle, and I love both. So um, I just I just thought I'd put it for this special unit that is um, got some really big bulls in there. You really should shoot like a, you know, a 350 plus bull in there. And um, I didn't. I didn't have time during the summer to do my homework. And so when I got ready to go, my son had the tag as well. We got up there and, and realized that 90% of this unit is um, private property. And oh. I, so 10% of the unit is okay. You can hunt it. But on that, on that 10% of that land is there was 26 tags and 24 people hunting it. So that's, that's not for me. Over, so, overwhelmed with people then. Yeah. I, yeah, just too many people for the amount of property to hunt, you know, because Idaho's BLM or Forest Service lands are open for us. And, you know, I have six horses and tons of gear, and we go back over the top of the mountains where people don't go, and we don't have to deal with people. So um, going to where I had to deal with people just didn't fit me, so I didn't go back, which is okay. <laughs> I tell you, I had a a pretty unpleasant um I won't I won't say unpleasant because anytime you're in the mountains it's awesome. But uh the this year for this 2015 in September I went out for an elk hunt in Idaho on the east side of the state and it rained and rained and rained and so I was in my tent almost more than I was hunting. <laughs> That's not very fun. No, not at all. So, Tenzing now, what what is your how long have you been working for Tenzing? And tell us a little bit about, I know you've been there since day one. So tell us, give us a little introduction to yourself and Tenzing. Okay. So, um, and, uh, and like in 1991, um, I started a store here in the Boise Valley. It was called, in the beginning, it was like a surplus store, but I I took it up to 13,000 square foot. Idaho Outdoor Outfitters is what I called it, um, and I opened a second one, and then I opened an additional backpack company that did manufacturing of products, and um, then we sold it to my store as well as dealers, and that's how I got into the business. And so um, I did this other backpack company for 15 years, and um, it ended up that, you know, I had a partner, and there's a lot of circumstances always that cause, you know, things to happen, and I don't want to get into any of that because it doesn't matter. Um, anyway, I ended up selling that business to my partner and Tom heard from, uh, Plano, the CEO, um, had, we'd been working together for a couple of years and I was doing some side projects, even on Plano tackle bags for them, um, in my wholesale manufacturing portion of my life. And, um, he said, I want to, I want to hire you. And, you know, I said, no, I mean, it didn't make any sense. I owned, you know, half this backpack company and, as time went along for a couple of years, the stores I shut down and then I just had the backpack company and I realized that something had to change. I needed to buy my partner out or um, leave. And so Tom Hurt was persistent enough to hire me um, to get me to start Tenzing. And at the time there was no, there was no Tenzing. It was just 
He said, I want to build um, the very best backpacks anybody's ever seen. I want you to compete against your current, you know, company, which is going to be a little bit of a problem. But I also want you to compete against Badlands and Everly Stock and all the other good packs out there because there's a lot of really good packs, you know, and I, and I don't ever talk bad about anybody's products because they're an inspiration and, and they're uh, a real driver to help you be better at what you do. And so competition is good. And, um, you know, that, so anyway, that's what happened was Tom Hurt hired me to start this brand and there was no brand. And so I left my other company and um, five years ago, almost to the date, March 1st, five years ago, uh, I went to work with this, uh, this no, you know, no idea what the brand was going to be, but we were going to build a backpack like no one had ever seen before. So that's where it started. So that was about five years ago, you said? Yeah, five years ago, March 1st. So it's just five years and a couple of weeks. So what was your first, like, I guess when, when you go in to design a pack and, uh, you know, the owner of Plano says, all right, Jay, make me the baddest ass pack that you could possibly make and make me enough skews to cover everybody. What, what's going through your head at that time? You know, I think, I think it's pretty exciting because, um, as bad as this may sound, I got I got to start over with an open budget, I mean unlimited budget really, um, to build anything I wanted with with these other folks' money. And so basically, the 15 years that I struggled to get to where I was at, and the other company was doing as well, they were successful. Um, I got to start over. It was like a do-over, you know. I was like, okay, here today, start over. And so they sent me a whole bunch of packs from their part of the world, you know, because the packs in Idaho and in the 13 Western states are typically a little different than you're going to find, you know, anyone East. And, and I understood that, but they sent me all kinds of packs and, and they said, these are just simply for ideas and, um, you know, thoughts and things you can do and things you don't want to copy. And so I had this massive pile of packs and I sit there. I remember you know, I was just sitting there looking at all the stuff going, man, what have I got myself into? Um, because you know there's so many packs and and so many people do a good job even you know even cabela's with their own brand and and redhead with their own brand or you know fast pro with redhead um they do a good job um so how do you build something that's superior um you know and so that that was the goal was to do that and that's that's ultimately what we did and i did that the next six months he asked me to start with 12 packs and um I did 10 and I had two I just wasn't happy with. And so um, when we launched, I launched with 10 packs and I threw two in the garbage. Um, so that was what we launched with was 10 different packs. Okay. So when you're, when you're sitting there and you're designing a pack, how do you differ, differentiate between what someone needs and what someone wants? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So uh, one of the things as a, a designer of outdoor products that that anybody, including myself, has to understand is you are the man or the woman that has to take everybody's input and throw them all in this bucket. And then when you're done, you, you really need to come out of that bucket with something that, you know, let's say 60% or 70% of the consumer is going to uh, like and want because you're never going to get 100%, especially with a pack, because, you know, John wants to carry his rangefinder on his right hip, and Luke wants to carry his on his left shoulder strap. And, and so 
everybody, especially with packs, because everybody has these ideas. Man, if I just did a pack like this. So ultimately, the goal and my goal was was to look at the mass majority. You know, whether it's tree stand hunting, spot and stock hunting, backcountry overnight bike out hunting. Um, what what can I build that's going to fit the mass majority? That's going to be something that is easy for the dealer to sell and the consumer to understand as well as the dealer to understand. And so all those elements come into play when you're designing the product. You have to figure out, uh, you know, how am I going to, as a designer, how am I going to sell this to the dealer so that they can put it in front of the consumer? Because if I, if I can't do that, then nothing's ever going to work. So since I had the retail store stores at the end, um, I learned a lot. You know, I didn't learn, I'm just a bonehead out of high school. I didn't go to college, um, but I learned how to buy. I learned how to sell. I learned how to, you know, provide goods to consumers um, as a dealer. Um, so I had this 20-year education on all the things that matter when you manufacture a product. Make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. So when you know you're taking all this advice from the 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 end user, the consumer. How much of that is really that you actually absorb? Because you're act, you're the expert. You you know kind of in a way what people want, and and some of that stuff is probably like like you said, one guy prefers it on the right, one guy prefers it on the left. Do you kind of go for a, a majority to make the most people happy, or is it hey? If I educate them on how to use it properly, they're going to love it. I think you do need to educate them. So that was part of what we did as we launched. When we launched, um, we we spent nine months from the day they hired me until we launched this ACA, um, uh, really building a really rock solid concrete foundation to build the brand on top of. And that's why when we launched, um, everybody, you know, the first year was like how the heck did you guys do this? I mean, it looks like a, a, a five or a 10 year old brand. Well, it's because of the way we did it. We, we, we did what you're, what you're talking about. We needed to make sure we educated everybody in the process. So from, from the time we finally had a name and we started building this foundation, we also made sure that everything we did was consistent. So when you see a, when you talk about the materials in a minute, but when you see a, a Tenzing backpack, you see the yellow daisy chain, right? On the back of it. Um, that yellow data chain, uh, we actually got the trademark for that. And there were other people that had used it in the past, you know, maybe not exactly like ours, but the color and the way that I did that screams Tenzing. And it doesn't matter if it's in an airport or if it's on the mountain or where it's at. When you see that, the first thing you think of is Tenzing. And so you don't have to know my name. And so as we launched, we started doing things that would drive the consumers to the website and the website had videos for every single product to answer your question we tried to educate not only the dealers but the consumers because but everything had to be exactly consistent if you looked at our brochure and you know the pack on there all the specs how many pockets how many compartments you know blah 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 it's all in the brochure it's all on the website it's all anything that we did the social media it's all exactly the same and it has the answer to all the questions as that a consumer has, how much does the pack weigh? How much will it carry? You know, all those questions, they're all there for every pack we did. And so you do educate the consumers and the dealers as you build a strong foundation in the beginning. 
So going back a little bit to design and how hard is it with so many different sizes and shapes of people to create a pack that may be a necessity for somebody, but still fit their body type? It's a challenge. Um, and because, you know, I'm, I'm five, nine hundred and eighty pounds. And, and so I'm like probably on the, the smaller size, I would say average man's probably closer to the, you know, five eleven, six foot, somewhere in there, a little taller, longer torso. Um, now, with a lightweight backpack that you're going to be using for going back and forth to a tree stand, those those specs for that person aren't as big a deal because you're not carrying a lot of weight. But when you get into someone, you know, going up the mountain with a, one of our TZ 5000s or TZ 6000, and and they, they go up the mountain with this pack, that torso adjustment absolutely has to be built into the pack so they can adjust it to fit the length of their torso so that that waist belt sitting exactly where it belongs in the hips so that you can transfer that load and it's not all on just the shoulders, not all just on the waist. So that, that's the hardest part is in a bigger pack that's going to be carrying more weight because with our packs, you know, it's, they're not, that's the other thing about a hunting pack is a mountaineering pack. People will say, you know, I don't know why you're packed with 400 bucks. I can buy the nicest Osprey in the world for 200 bucks, you know? Um, okay. Here's the thing. An Osprey pack or a North Face pack, they're beautiful packs. They do a fantastic job. That pack is designed to go up the mountain, whatever mountain you want to climb, with a, uh, a load, 50 or 60 pounds, and then you're going to come down the mountain with less because that's what you're doing. You're eating yourself, eating your food, eating your stuff out of your pack, and, and it gets lighter. A, a backpack for hunting, at least ours, are designed on our, on our high-end series. They're designed to go up with 60 or 70 and come back down with as much as that man or woman carries. So if it's 160 pounds, it can be done. So, and that kind of transitions us into a little bit about some of the material that you guys use. And I know one thing that has always stuck with me when I talked to you guys at the very first ATA show, you said, you know, our packs may not be the lightest, but do you really want the lightest possible pack when you're trying to carry out an elk quarter and extra weight like that, you know, real heavy weight? So explain to us a little bit about some of the material that goes into these packs. Okay. So, again, when we when we decided to do this and, and, and I sit here with all those packs looking at me in the face and I, I really went back and said, what were the things that I, I – I, like the least about the packs that I did before and um, the competition. What does, you know, some of these other people are going to be competing against. What are they doing that's frustrating to me that I need to be better at? And the materials are the biggest thing because as packs get cold, they get stiff. And some of the materials that were, as they designed materials, it was, it was interesting to me because you take a uh, Trico material, which gives you a soft finish because um, that, that's, that's that's what they call the Trico, and then they put a, a, a waterproof backing on that Trico, and it's put right onto it. And then they take a Jersey cotton, and they they bond all three of those layers together, and that gives you, you know, in in the um, hunter's mind, 15, 20 years ago, that was a, a pack weight material. So you had strength, and you had all the stuff you needed to make this work. Well, the problem with that was. As it got cold, it got stiff. And so what I did was I said, let's go back to the drawing board here and figure out how to get around this. And, you know, polar fleece, all these other fabrics, none of them, the polyesters, none of them worked correct for what we were trying to do. So I ended up back at Trico, 
And I was using, like, there's different weights of Trico. I was using a 240, and I wasn't really happy with that, which is just the weight of the Trico. So I actually went clear up to a 380 Trico, and then I started messing with waterproofing. And so I, I picked five of the very best waterproofing that I could find that were had, you know, good information behind them. And I sent those to independent laboratories and had independent laboratory testing done on those on the Trico. And then I also had them sent to me, and I sit around here and froze them in the freezer and did everything I could. And then I test them, and I came up with what I thought was the very best one of the bunch. And then, sure enough, which was awesome, was the, the independent t laboratory testing came back, and the one I had chose was the one that they said was the strongest and also the most pliable as well. So that was really cool. Now, rather than um, rather than do the third layer, which is a jersey that you bond together, I didn't want to do that because that's what makes it stiff. And so I told the factory they have to cut every single lining uh, uh, for the Trico separate. And it's a 210 lining, which is nylon. And 210 nylon lining is not only lighter, but it's also stronger than a jersey cotton that was bonded. So that's why our packs don't get stiff when they're cold. They're separate layers. They move independently. And, you know, there's always going to be some kind of noise and stuff um, just because that's, that's the way it works. But that noise is gone. Kensington doesn't have stiff, noisy packs. So um, the other thing I wanted to do was figure out how to make all the high-stress areas stronger. Um, and I had been using some Dyneema in the past for several things. And, and Dyneema is a, is a material, um, and it's woven into a denier. And so I had played with this and started messing around with it some more to the point where um, I liked it. The problem was, was it's very expensive. It's, it's about 12 bucks a yard. And you can't just buy it. You have to have it made. Um, so I kept messing with this and kept messing with this. And I decided, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put the Dyneema in all the high-stress areas. And so you take a 500-denier nylon, which would be like a military-grade backpack with a 500-D Cordura. And then when you have it made, you weave this Dyneema into that. And Dyneema is 15 times as strong as a steel cable. Um, and it floats on water. And you can look that up online. It's D-Y-N. E-E-M-A, and if you just go on and do Dyneema and do Dyneema tests and stuff like that, you can see the white fiber I'm talking about. So if you take a quarter-inch braided steel cable and a quarter-inch of Dyneema and you do a pull test with it, the Dyneema is 15 times as strong as a steel cable and it floats on water. So as we use that in all our high-stress areas, the, there was a, a real feeling of relief on knowing you know, how strong the packs would be and that they could carry that huge weight back off the hill without having issues. So that was the, the main things I did for the two materials. And then, you know, the zippers, I did, I said, I want to use YKK. And uh, they, 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 my company drilled me. They said, why? And I said, because they're the best. And they said, who said that? I said, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> who, is, who, who are these people we always talk about? They, they, they said, right. You know, yeah, we all do that. Yeah. They said, and, yeah. And so, uh, one of the guys said, Let, let's just pick the five best. Let's pick um, the five best zippers, YKK, SKB, and let's have independent laboratory testing done. Let's choose the best zipper that way. And I said, hey, I like that. So so that's what we did. And and I don't tell people which zipper I chose, um, but the one I chose is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, and uh, the zipper strength all the way across, because you have to do a lot of different things. You have to test the slide, which is the pull that goes on the teeth. And you have to test the teeth, and then you have to test it, you know, vertically, horizontally, crossways. Um, you have to always test. And then you take the best from all those tests and come up with a zipper that will work best for your product. 
the first year I had a big screw up. I I used a bunch of five zippers in some of my packs and some of my bow cases. And to this day, I'm still seeing brand new packs for that screw up because number five is too small on any backpack on on the outside of any pocket. And I only used it in a couple places, like on my hip pockets and some, a few areas that had small pockets. Um, it was a giant mistake on my part. I learned a big lesson there because as that little zipper gets dirt and stuff in it, it's too small and it fails. And the zipper doesn't fail. The slide fails. So um, just so the listeners know, you can actually take not only my zipper, but anybody's zipper that has the, the, the slides coming off the teeth and it's moving and it's not zipping. And you push that clear back to where it starts at. And then you take a pair of pliers and you squeeze that slide back together and that zipper will work again. That's just a, a really easy fix, especially if you're in the field and have a leatherman or something. Um, eventually, it's going to fail again, but it's going to get by for a, a, quite a, a time after that. So a little extra drill in there. <laughs> so with these packs, you know, you now you guys have now you guys have a whole bunch of different varieties. But what were you thinking about as far as the original? You said ten packs. What, what was the goal to accomplish with those original ten packs? Yeah, the um, the original ten. I felt like we really needed to have five or six that would go thirteen Western states, Alaska, you know, Canada, um, and be able to go anywhere in the world on a big game hunt outside of a tree stand or uh, a, you know um, a spot and stock situation to a blind or anything like that that's going to be uh, an easy walk from the house or an easy walk from the pickup. So I felt like we really need to have that because people from all over the United States and all over the world, they, they like to go on these you know backcountry hunts, whether no matter where it's at, it could be in Quebec or it could be in Australia, and you need a bigger pack for bigger stuff like that. So I wanted to... I wanted to have five or six of those, and then I wanted to have um, another four or five that would be good for tree stand type use. You know, a single swing that would um, help you carry your your bow in a place for the uh, rangefinder. And um, I wanted to have lightweight, just an ultra lightweight uh, backpack that people could just throw their gear in. And I really tried to focus on sharing people's, telling people, you know, if you just get a pack, um, you're, if you want to get ready to go to your tree stand, even if you don't need a pack you'll always have your gear. You'll have your flashlight, your pocket knife. All the stuff that always goes back and forth with you can be kept in this pack. And so like our 1200, um, it weighs two pounds. It's, it weighs less than the coat you're wearing. And yet it'll always carry your gear back and forth for you. So, um, and that being said, we, we launched as a hero-based brand. We wanted to help the hunter go further and stay longer. And so everything we did was, was we, that was talked about as we went forward. So when somebody is going to start shopping for a pack, and I know there's so many different ways you could take this, but let's, I guess we could start with maybe out West. What are some common mistakes people make when they, they purchase a pack? Um, I think probably one of the most common mistakes that, what happened with the pack is they want to match their gear. So they, you know, they, they, they love Realtree Extra. And so they're looking for a Realtree Extra pack. And not to say that there's not good Realtree Extra packs, but I think people get caught up in, in the look of the pack more than the function and the fit. And the, obviously, obviously the fit is the very most important in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But if it, 
if it fits well, but the function's lousy, that's not, you know, that's not good either. So you, you really need to think about if, if I was going to go buy a pack today, the first things I would do is think about what am I using it for? And because ultimately most everybody ends up in the, in my world, we probably have, most people have three or four or five packs. So you get the pack out that you're going to use for that day. Um, so if I'm going to do a tree stand hunt, it's not going to be the same pack as what I'm going to do, you know, a uh, spike up, up on top of the hill. It's just the different packs. So if I'm going to go buy a pack, I'm going to take my stuff and I'm going to lay it out. And then I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to shop for what fits me the best. And hopefully, you know, um, look at the quality, um, look at the warranty. Everybody always cares about warranty. Lifetime warranty is pretty common on packs, but, you know, that's always thrown in there that it's up to us and um you know if you tear it or uh, we'll, we'll repair it before we replace it if possible so uh that's kind of consistent with everybody but it's really important to understand that if you go buy a pack that costs 49 dollars the materials are completely different they don't have the same materials that our packs have they don't have the same buckles they don't have the same zippers and so you can buy one of those every year for 50 bucks a year or you can buy one Tenzing, which our number one selling uh, pack is the 2220 at 200 bucks, and that pack's going to last you 10 years. Um, my my opinion on a way a pack should last is um, easily answered by saying I feel it should be the same as a pair of boots. Um, if you wear those boots from the day you get them and the way they fit and you love them until they're worn out, you don't take them back and throw them on the counter and say, these boots suck. I only wore them eight years. Um, I want another pair. You go in and say, I love those boots. I wonder if they still have them. And so a backpack is the same as a pair of shoes or a pair of boots. If you get that many years out of it and you love it that much, you're going to stick with that brand. Right. Right. So, so I, I kind of didn't. Yeah, go ahead. I thought maybe I answered. Maybe I didn't. I'm not sure. I'm <laughs> well, we'll we'll have to go back and listen, but I think you did. Um, okay. What about as far as body parts are concerned and how to properly wear a pack? What's a what's a maybe a misconception or an error that people make? Uh, some of the most common ones that that I see is. They'll they'll buy a pack and they'll they'll say what's the waist what's the waist um, let's say it's, you know my my waist will fit you from 32 to 42 that's what my adjustment in my waist belt is that it, with pack that's difficult because here's what I'm saying is my pack is going to fit this guy that wears a 32 waist um, and it's going to be small and so it won't go any smaller than that if he's got a 30 inch waist maybe the pack's not going to get tight enough on his waist. Um, Bodies are really hard because every one of us are built a little different. Some of us, you know, are fit and we work out. We have, you know, we're ripped. We got a six pack and we don't have, you know, any love handles and the packs, uh, waist belts are fitting good on our hips. And then that, you know, your best friend's twice your size and he's got some big old love handles and the, the pack doesn't fit the same. But what I started to get at is if the waist belt's a 32 inch waist belt and you're a 32, that's what that means. But you can't go home and put on coveralls, you know, extra long coat and all that stuff and put that pack on and still expect it to fit like a 32. So that's always been a problem with backpacks is you're wearing them over the top of everything else you've already stacked on top of them. And 
So some of the guys that say, man, I am a 38 waist and this pack doesn't fit me. Well, take all your clothes off and see if it'll fit because it will, but there's, so that's, that's a little bit of a frustrating part. The goal is, is really to help people understand to keep this, especially with the bigger packs, keep the shoulder straps flat on the back where they're just, they're just going over the shoulder straps nice and clean, not a bunch of holes. You know, if there's, if you can put your hand behind the shoulder strap where the pack is, the pack isn't on your body right. That shoulder strap needs to come all the way over. And then the load lifter needs to hook right into, we use aluminum stays in our big packs. And um, the, the load lifter needs to hook into that and pull that pack in tight against your back. Otherwise, it just isn't going to carry a big load. So no perfect answer on that. Hopefully, you know, we'll make enough adjustments so we can move these packs around and fit most of the people that are carrying the big loads. Um, it's a tough one. Yeah, yeah you know, like, I think you nailed it earlier when you said there's just, there's so many different, you got to make a product that's going to hit as many people as possible. Now let's talk about scenarios as far as hunting is concerned. And, and we'll just kind of go from the, the tree stand hunter to out West, but let's say for a guy or a gal who maybe hunts some, some public land where in in whitetail country on the east coast where they have to take their tree stand in with them every time so it's on their back or you know they're holding it or something like that and they have to carry all their gear in at one time and then they carry it all back out with them and they're sitting in a tree stand for however many hours what pack might fit that scenario the best well, I think that person, you know, typically is going to be able to take one of the smaller packs and, and, and actually, if they're using a, a tree stand that has the straps and everything on it so that the, the, the tree stand is to their back tightest, then put the pack on the tree stand. And then if they, you know, go um, to their stand and they climb up it and whatever, and then they, they climb back out and they have to go look for the animal and it's whatever, half an hour, an hour, they can still take their, their pack and put it in their body, you know. Um, so any of the lightweight packs are going to be able to hook over the top of the tree stand somehow so that you can carry all your goods with you. I have a, a really awesome carbon fiber platform um, that's designed to carry tree stands. So you could, it's not specifically for tree stands, but you could carry this, this carbon fiber frame. And if you were, you know, carrying three tree stands, you can stack them all on there and then fit you comfortably, but it's not, it's not, that that scenario isn't really that common. Most of the people, like you just mentioned, if they're going to go in, they're carrying everything, they're just going to take a small pack in that situation. If they're setting up tree stands and they're carrying a bunch and setting them up as they go through their 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 property and setting three or four, this other unit would work. But I think the small packs, anybody's small pack is going to work best on the outside of a tree stand being carried on the back. So we're talking like the the TZ uh, 2200 that you mentioned earlier, the 1250 and, and the 1500, somewhere around there? Yeah, yeah, and the 1250 is our, is our big lumbar-style pack, and that, that really is more of a guide-style pack. It's pretty heavy-duty and made to carry a lot of weight, even though it looks like a, you know, like a fanny pack, which is just some terminology of what a, you know, a half of a pack that fits on your waist is. Um, uh, but it's actually, it's, it's a heavy-duty lumbar pack that's made to carry a lot of weight, and um, it has the same waist belt and suspension as our 5,000 and 6,000 backpack. Okay. All right, so the next scenario then is, uh, let's say, South Dakota, or you may not be p packing in 
to to camp all the way in. But uh, you're definitely spotting and stocking, and you're bringing, you know, maybe you're bringing some water in with you. You're bringing all your cleaning gear, your uh, your meat bags, and and everything you're going to need to go in, spot and stock, and potentially haul, you know, quarters of an animal out back to your truck. Okay. Um, so I just released a brand new pack this year. We had a gap from the 2220 to the 4000. Um, for three years now, I've had the 4000, which is a perfect solution to the scenario you just um, laid on the table there. Um, and now this year I have the 3000, and it, it's not going to do quite as much as the 4000, but it's about $80, $90 less than the 4000. The 4000 is designed to expand with the amount of gear you're carrying. So you can start out with a pack that's relatively flat against your back and it's got pockets for all the miscellaneous. That's one thing with Kenzie you're going to find is we do a lot of organizational pockets and there's lots of places for all your stuff. Well, we have that in the center of the 4,000 and then it has two um, up and down vertical pockets just like a lot of packs do. But what those vertical pockets do on the outside of this pack is you can lay the whole pack into itself and those pockets will zip to each other and all the pack is behind those. And so the pack is only about uh, four inches thick. And then if you decide you take a coat off, you need some more room, when you unzip that, there's a zipper on the main bag that you would zip to and now the pack is 30% bigger than it was. And then if you take some more clothes off or you find something that you want to carry back or whatever, or your buddy getting tired and you put more stuff in your pack, you can expand it again. And now those side pack pockets are truly on the side of each uh, side of the pack and the pack completely full in the middle. And then all, all of a sudden you, you know, you get lucky and you whack an antelope or you swap white tail or whatever. And so you, um, you can then take it and then zip it all the way around next to the frame. And the whole, the whole backpack is going to move away from the frame about four and a half inches. Um, I didn't make that big enough to carry an entire elk quarter on purpose, um, but it'll carry a boned out quarter easily or a front shoulder easily or, you know, a deer quarter um, or two front shoulders. And it's a vented um, with mesh and it, it allows you to carry the weight heavy up against your back. And then your backpack that's already full is on the outside of that. And it includes an extra set of three compression straps. And so now you go from your standard compression straps, to, um, there's actually like 10 on, on, on this one, two on top, two on bottom, um, two on each side. And then when you open that meat compartment, there's three more. So there's compression straps because you have to claw it back in tight to the frame. Otherwise, you can't carry it correctly. So our 4000 is a huge, excellent pack, um, huge seller. Uh, it's not huge. It's just the right size for the kind of hunt you just threw out there. Yeah, I can actually say that I have the TZ4000 and I've used it for several years. I actually used it for the next scenario, one of the next scenarios that I'm, we're going to talk about. And that's out west. You know, you start getting into your elk country, high country mule deer and like Idaho where you live. Um, maybe an over, just an overnight, someone who is going to go, you know, they get a they got a weekend off. They're going to go Saturday night. They're going to camp out. They're going to have their tent in their pack. What what pack might work best in that scenario? Okay, so the the four thousand I just spoke of that would work for that. If it's you know if it's early bow season and you're not carrying a heavy sleeping bag, that pack would work for that, and you'd still be able to carry meat off. I I did, however, build the first year. I built a TZ five thousand and a TZ six thousand. We said, okay, let's build both of them. 
Um, and one of them is going to be on a 24-inch platform, and the other is going to be on a 27-inch platform, so that I can fit a uh, longer torso. So that guy that's six foot two or six foot four, um, I have a pack that'll fit him. Um, so I did the 5,000 and the 6,000, and they do basically the same thing um, that any type of mountaineering backpack would have: a, a sleeping bag compartment on the bottom, you know, a, a main compartment through the center. They have places for the spotting scope on the, each side. Um, they have the removable uh, lid on the top that also um, expands up, um, you know, vertically if you need some extra uh, room for gear. But it still has that meat compartment like the 4,000. So the only difference in the 5 and the 6, just make sure you understand that, is the cubic inches, which is 1,000 cubic inches. But the, the 5,000 is a shorter platform, so it's going to fit my size guy better, and the 6,000 is going to fit the taller guy better. Now, that being said, because we have an adjustable torso and shoulder straps in this 5,000 and 6,000, Cam Haynes is like 5'8", and he uses the 6,000 all the time. He'd love the 6,000 because he can make it short enough that it fits him just fine. But you can't do that reverse with a 5,000 for a tall guy. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and just so everybody knows, when they go, let's say after this uh, podcast, you go visit the Tenzing website, the – the number represents the cubic inches, correct? That is correct. And I did that, um, one, because that's a really easy way to kind of identify how many cubic inches the backpack is going to be. But two, the thing I learned in my first, uh, my first 15 years was that when you name a pack something, more than likely you're going to offend somebody in some way or you're going to do something. I, you know, we did a pack called a whitetail, right? And so I would have people call, and they would say, man, I love that whitetail pack, but I, I pretty much hunt mule deer. Do you have a mule deer version? <laughs> and you're just scratching your head saying, it'll work fine for mule deer. But, you know, so that was that was something I learned. I never even thought about that happening. And the other thing that I learned that I thought was really uh, unique was, you know, I did some packs early on for Jim Horn. He was the first guy I worked with. And. So I did a Jim Horn signature series, and then I did a, I did a, a pack with um, Jim Shockey, um, and, and I did some packs with Matthews, and and so the other thing I learned was as you license packs with people, you're also just cutting other people out. So you know for a fact, you know Jim Shockey's not going to wear Jim Horn's pack, and you know Ted Nugent's not going to buy Jim Shockey's pack, and so okay, let's just eliminate all that and let's just go straight with numbers. PZ which is pretending and 6,000, 5,000, 4,000 cubic inches. And it just makes sense. So it, it's worked well. All right. All right. So the last scenario is multiple day hunt. We're talking five plus days, maybe. Um, you're carrying in a lot of gear. You're carrying in your, uh, you know, all your food, your backpack, your everything you need for a multiple day hunt. What's the, what product are we talking about then? It's again the five thousand, the six thousand. So you're, you know, you're going to go for extended days like that. You're going to be carrying most of the same gear that you do an overnight spike out in. However, you're going to be carrying more food, but you're because you're going to be staying out there lighter. You're going to be or longer. You're going to be, you know, you're going to be buying more dehydrated food. You're not going to be taking, you know, as heavy a food because we all say, you know, I can pretty much carry sixty pounds all day long, or you know, I can carry forty pounds, or you kind of have some kind of idea where you want to be. And so if you're just going up for one night, I mean, you may go up there and carry three soda pops or you know, beer or whatever with you, where if you're doing a five-day hunt, you don't. So so 
the 5,000 and 6,000 are still going to be probably the best choices for that extended period of hunt like that, but you're going to pack your pack differently. Okay. Now talk to us a little bit about what you have two, two packs that have are carbon fiber, right? The I do. T- yeah. The TZCF 13. What would be a scenario where you would use that pack? You could use that for the same thing we were just talking about. It works good for the overnight spike out. Um, it'll carry any kind of load you can imagine. That that carbon fiber frame is built here in the United States. Um, I've got I got a patent on the design of it. it um, you can lay 500 pounds of of um, weights on top of that on concrete floor, and it won't go flat. And you can take them off a month later. And it goes exactly back to where it came from as far as the curvature of every piece. The goal with that one was really to build a platform to carry really any kind of load. I mean, if you wanted to use that beaver tail on the bottom of it and in a military application, they wanted to carry um, three uh, 7.62 or 50 cal ammo cans, they're going to sit in there and that the wing is going to wrap around it and you're going to be able to carry it. So as far as like, how much room and how much capacity that's a that's a hard question because you could strap a massive load on this thing and it's going to flex and fit with your body and move with your body so that it can actually carry the load so most people say that they found that it you know 60 to 80 pounds doesn't seem to make much difference but if you bring 120 or 150 and some guys tell me they carry 180 and these enormous loads i i don't know you know but um that pack makes it feel lighter because of the way it's so tight against the back and because of the way it's cut and molded. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that's built into that carbon fiber frame. So as you're walking, you're, if you step forward with your right foot, your hip is moving forward and you're, you may, your left shoulder is going the opposite direction. So that, that pack flexes right behind that lumbar pad and moves with your body, but it won't allow the weight to go reverse from your body does that make sense it's, yeah. it's built right into the way i guess so right into the way i designed that so carrying big loads long distances um even for like a caribou hunt or something like that you can there's an inner bag in that pack it comes with it's um you put all your clothes and all that kind of stuff in it you wrap the wings in thing all around it you go in you pull your gear out you set your tent and all that stuff up you pull that inside bag out you throw that inside your tent your clothes are in that bag and then you have this basically flat pack it'll carry anything you can imagine anything you strap on there um huge loads so it's 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 really excellent and the cf-13 is the same way um but we had a i mean that was the 13 i was talking about sorry the cf legend we had a, a certain group of people that were asking for um uh, really an elite pack that um would come apart and when they got to wherever they were going they could zip the outer pack off and use it like a lightweight day pack, and then the frame and the beaver table in, underneath, which is you know where the pack is hooked to, can carry giant loads. So with it, you can let's say you go up the mountain and you have your your son or your daughter with you, and you're carrying all your gear and everything, and you shoot an elk. Um, you can take your pack completely apart, and you can take the outer pack off and put the clothes and the lighter stuff in it for your your son or daughter, and then you can put as much weight as you can possibly carry on the beaver tail, what's left of the pack, and carry an entire load off back to the truck or whatever, and then you can leave the small pack in the truck, and you can go back up with just this lightweight pack because it weighs three and a half pounds, and continue to carry the loads off the hill, 
or um, if you're by yourself, you can do the same thing. The pack will hook to the outside of that big load. So there's straps that allow you to hook your pack back to the outside of whatever you're carrying on the frame. Okay. And is that, are those machined parts or are they molded? Um, so the, the carbon fiber is the highest quality carbon fiber made. It, it um, comes in a pre-impregnated state in a, in a cold um, form and it's layered and laid out onto a mold. And then when it's put onto the mold, we put it into a, a, a press and basically we press it till it's completely flat, exactly like we want it. And we put it into a curing oven and then we take it out of the curing oven and we put it onto a mold that is on a CNC machine and we cut all of our cuts and grooves exactly where we want them with the CNC machine. And then we get rid of all the rough edges and, you know, hook it to the suspension. So it's quite a process. Yeah. So my next question is, are, are tinting packs made in the U.S. or is it a, a combination of overseas and U.S.? On the, on the ones that have the carbon fiber, the carbon fiber is made here. Um, originally, our, our packs were coming out of a factory that we went and set up in China because Plano had 30 factories in China. So it was really, it was really amazing that we could go over and, and we had this factory just, that's all we did was tins and packs. And we set them up exactly like we wanted them. Um, and, and, the, and it was good. The quality was good. It was everything that I needed it to be. The problem with, um, China is these folks go to their Chinese New Year and they don't come back and you get new employees and the new employees aren't as good as the ones that knew what they were doing. And so anyway, 98%, I would say 90% of the highest quality packs in the world are all made in Vietnam. And so now all tending packs um, are, are made in Vietnam. And, and the reason why is because the quality is just absolutely astonishing. Um, it, it is it is so good because they're so good at their at what they do. Now, I have a whole giant stack of 100% American-made packs right here in front of me. I'm looking at when you ask me that question. Um, I've been working with the U.S. military. I've probably done 10 or 12 different 100% uh, very compliant 100% made in the USA packs. Some have carbon fiber frames. Some don't. Um, they're all made out of 500 denier cordura, um, very compliant buckles, very compliant materials. Uh, and they're awesome. Um, they're more expensive, you know. And so, tensing packs, because of all the stuff they have on them and what they do already, are, are pretty expensive. And so, if we tried to build a made in America backpack um, on the hunting side, I, I'm not sure that we could do it and make it um, work. Uh, I, I just don't know how how that could be done. Just just from a price point standpoint, right? Yeah, just from a price point standpoint. I mean, I've got some ideas on some things I'd like to try in the future. I don't want to talk about right now, but um, which would be 100% American-made because uh, I'd love to do that. Um, and we definitely have the designs now on the stuff I've done on the military side. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I love support, supporting America just like everybody else does. But if, if I could sell you a pack that's made wherever it's made and I give you a lifetime warranty, and to this day, I've replaced every pack anybody sent me. Every pack that has any kind of issue doesn't go back to the distribution center. It comes to J. Robert in Star, Idaho, and I have a pile of packs here because if I don't know what's breaking, I can't fix it. So I, I evaluate every single pack that's returned, and I send a note back to customer care. Please send him a new pack. Now, in the future, that will be just like everybody else. We're going to start you know, saying, okay, these little repairs, um, we're going to do some small repairs here and there. It's not going to affect anything, but 
Um, to this day, I've replaced every pack that's had any kind of problem, including multiple packs where they've been pulled off the four-wheeler and caught in the sprocket, and they tore the whole entire side of it out. I, I've re I just replaced one last week that was burned up in a fire. Now, when I replace that type of pack, just just because I'm just going to tell the truth right now, I don't send you a brand new one because it wasn't my fault and caught it on fire. But I do send you <laughs> a very nice one that's maybe used twice and had one bad zipper pull. So anything that comes back that just has a little tiny issue, I will take care of it. And then I have these for those folks that may have a different issue that we didn't even, you know, they just bought their brand new pack. They're super jacked. And, and then something stupid happens. They rip the side of it out, you know, catching it on a barbed wire fence, you know. So anyway, um, we've been really, really conscientious to make sure that the brand is is upheld based back on that foundation I told you we were built on it from the beginning. So it's working well. Good. Now, the last one of the last questions I have for you is when someone starts the process and they're looking for a pack, you know, we, like you mentioned, there's several other brands out there that make a good quality pack. Why should someone choose Tenzing? Well, look at, you know, look at the features, look at uh, the specs. Like I, like I said, I mean, my goal was to um, answer all the questions. And so, uh, all the way from, I mean, how do I drive the consumer to the dealer? So when the the consumer gets to the the dealer, I need that that person really to be pre-sold before he gets there, so he's looking for a tensing pack. Because if I can do that, then the dealer automatically sells, and he's happy, and I'm reselling to him, and I'm happy. And and so if you if you go look at our at our website, and and you truly don't think that we have the most innovative packs you know, um, on the market. We have like 10 patents in five years on this stuff. The turkey pack is patented. The carbon fiber pack is patented. Um, our bird vest is patented. Um, our innovation is is incredibly cutting edge. And, and I'm not saying other people's isn't because that's the question you asked me, but I'm saying compare. You know, go to, go to Tenzing and look at what we're offering. And then if you're looking for, you know, a 5,000 cubic inch pack and you're going to be doing a backcountry hunt, well, then, then look at the competition against Tenzing and, and compare. Compare the specs, compare the warranty, compare the departments, compare the pockets. Make sure that it'll carry meat in against your back. It can't carry meat on the outside because it doesn't carry well out there. The pack has to carry the, the weight up tight against your back. Um, so if you go through and look at all the things, the pockets, the compartments, the, the adjustability, the materials that are used, how quiet is it, I truly believe that, that it, you'll have you'll know why you want to send anything when you're done evaluating. Nice. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I think that pretty much does it. You, you, uh, asked or answered every question that I, that I had for you. And, um, I guess if people want to learn more about Tenzing packs, where should you send them? Yeah, go to, uh, Tenzing outdoors.com. And, um, you know the uh, or the social media we've got on our Facebook page. Tenzing has a a good social media. We've got a hundred and almost one hundred ninety thousand uh, following there. And it, just look at that. Just again, if you if you look at that alone um, and compare it, we didn't buy those. Those are that's part of the whole goal was to become the number one uh, leader in the in the pack world um, and have a, a following of people that understand why we we are who we are. Um, so anyway, TensingOutdoors.com is a great place, and the social media is Tensing 
on the Facebook, and then there's Twitter and all that stuff that I don't do, so I can't answer how you do that. I don't know. <laughs> Just point and click, right? Yeah, I don't even know. I don't have it set up. <laughs> all right. You know, one well, last thing I want to let everybody know before you kick me off here is I've had questions from the very beginning. Where did Tenzin's name come from? And some people know. Some people don't. But if you can give me two minutes, I'll explain that. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so as we built this brand, we like we talked about, I, I really wanted to, we built a foundation and everything was built off that foundation. And we did a, a big study and we studied all of our competition and where they fit into the archetypes. And that was all part of what we were doing as we built this brand. And if you look at the, the all the competition and where they fit and the puzzle pieces fit, like, you know, I'm the best, I'm this, I'm that, I'm everything else. There was nobody that was in the world of um, a hero-based brand. And so that's, that's how we chose that. And, and so once we knew we were going to be the hero-based brand, which meant, okay, Kenzie's going to be there for this consumer every time they want to go. We're always going to be there so that they can go further and stay longer. That's, that's what we want. We want to, we want to let that come out in the real world. Go further, stay longer, go further, stay longer. Um, we want your experience to be better. We want to be the hero and help the hunter be a better hunter. We don't, we're not, we're not the hunter. We're just, the thing that can help the hunter be better. Um, so that we worked off that, and then we started talking about names, and you know, different names came up. We we did a big study on that, and I didn't know Nike was a female goddess, and so we studied Nike and Harley Davidson and all these other ones. And so once we did that, we said, hey, let's start talking about names that would fit this brand. And so as we went through that whole process, Tenzing Norgay came up, and you know, that man was an amazing man. He was a shrimp, obviously. He took. Sir Edmund Hillary, the top of Mount Everest. He was the Sherpa that took the first guy to the top of Mount Everest, you know, and I thought that is really a cool deal. Um, and, and I would guess that he probably was the first one to the top. Who knows? It doesn't matter. Um, but it, when we talked about that, it wasn't about Kenzing, but we started talking about the Sherpa. The Sherpas are carrying all the goods for all these people that climb Mount Everest all the time. And that fits the brand exactly right. It, 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 I mean, it's we're there to help the people carry these goods and so that fit the brand and so we went back and we said Tenzing is, is a really catchy name and it's kind of like Nike once you hear it you never forget it yeah. and so anyway I like to I like to share that because that's where that all came from um, you know we have a lot of respect for Tenzing Norgay and, and what he did and um, you know we certainly wouldn't want to take anything away from his name but that's how Tenzing the name of the packs came about and so a little bit of a little that. bit of background yeah well, I tell you what, Jay, thanks for coming on the show and uh, repping Tenzing, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again. Thank you very much for giving me the time. I really do appreciate it. And there you have it, another podcast bites the dust. Thanks to Jay for coming on the show, talking all things Tenzing. Now, Tenzing has decided to take part in this week's giveaway podcast giveaway and they are offering the winner of the podcast their choice between three packs a 1500 a 2200 and a 3000 uh, i have the tz 4000 which is not available but i will tell you that these packs are pretty badass uh, so the winner will get to choose between a 1500 a 2200 and a 3000 and um, how do you win the very first thing you do is go to Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page and share, click the share button, and share the 
Facebook post that mentions this podcast. Then I want you to go to Tenzing's Facebook page and I want you to comment nine fingers sent me. And uh, I'm going to check both both those places. And uh, if you're in both those places, then uh, I'll put you into the drawing and you will uh, have a chance to win your choice of one of those packs. So go and do that. Now, the next thank you is to you guys for listening. If you haven't already, make sure you're going to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribing. Uh, Do me a favor. Go leave a review on iTunes and uh, let me know what you think. Also, go to um, Facebook, go to Instagram, Twitter, all that crap. And last but not least, want to thank Exodus Outdoor Gear and their trail cameras for sponsoring the show. Make sure you guys head over to ExodusOutdoorGear.com. Uh, badass camera, if I do say so myself. And uh, thank you. So, with that said, have a great week. And remember wear your damn safety harness.